Hi, this is Bob King, and I would like to welcome you to another episode of From the Chair, a podcast that's aimed at sharing new thoughts and great ideas with financial advisors. And I'm really glad today to have two guests. They're going to help me sort of talk a bit about the world of seniors care, uh, a world that is pretty foreign to most of us, uh, strikes fear in the heart of some of us. Uh, but these two individuals have spent a fair bit of time in that world and, and uh, can help us sort of navigate uh, through some of those mysteries and, and fears uh, that have been conjured up in our own heads, uh, usually uh, over many years. So my guests today are Deborah Bhakti. Uh, Deborah has written a, a book, a second book actually, but this book that we're really gonna talk a bit about today is called Now What? Uh, and uh, it's a very uh, easy read, not in terms of the content necessarily, because it's emotional at times and, and startling at times, but at the it's an easy book to read because uh, it's not an 800 page tomb of, of technical information. It's a journey. And Deb has done a great job of, of talking about that, uh, that journey. And also uh, with me today is Shirley Crook. Uh, Shirley is the president and founder of Care for Life Support Services. And her day-to-day -day world is dealing with that entire space of seniors care and long-term care and helping patients and their families navigate that system and finding the right solutions. So ladies, thanks for joining me today. It's great to, uh, great to have you both. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. So let's talk about uh, seniors care and, and start with that notion that it, you know, seniors care has been a, a bit of a mystery to most of us over our lifespans. And yet with our aging population, uh, you're likely uh, in the financial services world, at least to be having clients and their, and their family members or your own family members facing circumstances that will lead them into that seniors care world. So, you know, Shirley, can you just sort of go over that seniors care system and the different terminology that's out there, et cetera, and, and uh, give us that overview to, to sort of kick things off, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. And you're right, the terminology does, uh, does change a little bit at times. Uh, so there's really, you know, four pillars of senior care. Um, that you know it, it are available to to Canadians. Um, there, there's uh, there's there's home care um, for individuals. There's public and the public and private system. So the the public system is um, operated through the local health integration network that used to be called the Community Care Access Center. So there's a little bit of a change there. And um, there is what's called the home and community-based support services. So for example, if someone was needing access to service, quite often it's a family doctor, it's a hospital admission that is recommending nursing care in the home. 
uh, a physiotherapist to come out and provide a, an assessment or an occupational therapist. So, so that is, is, is mandated by the Ministry of Health and uh, Long-Term Care. And then there's private uh, operators that provide uh, services to individuals in, in home and, and sometimes in, uh, in, in long-term care and retirement. And then there's community-based care. So the community-based care could be you know, your respite care programs that are available for, for seniors or older adults. That could be, for example, uh, the Alzheimer's Day program. I know in, in, in Oakville here, we just had a phenomenal um, a program, just open up an adult day program for individuals that are needing uh, access to, to services and therapeutic recre recreational activities uh, for individuals. And then the third system really is that, um, that institutional-based care uh, that we would consider, which is uh, what, what used to be called, Bob, nursing homes. And uh, we, we changed that uh, lingo a little bit to long-term care facilities. So that is your institutional-based care. And those beds are held in and mandated by the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care in, in Canada. In, in Ontario, um, we have about a two to five year average wait list for someone to uh, transition into long-term care. I was actually just looking at some of the statistics uh, yesterday. And uh, just for example, one of the long-term care facilities I was looking at had 358 people waiting for a bed with uh, an average of two beds transitioning um, every year. So, uh, that's, you know, there, we, we do have an insurmountable amount of, of, you know, individuals over 55 in the country for, you know, in the world, in fact, for the first time in, in excuse me, in world history. So there isn't a lot of transition into long-term care. So therefore the, you know, the, the weight, um, and then, and then the last, um, the last piece really is that acute care when there's been a, unfortunately a hospital admission and there are uh, acute services needed in the hospital with the plan to identify when someone needs to transition home, uh, possibly to a retirement home or uh, that institutional-based care service. Wow, thanks, Shirley. You're welcome. Uh, so Deb, um, uh, you've had, <laughs> you've had, more experience with that system uh, than than most of us, uh, obviously, uh, by virtue of working in it for some time, uh, but also working through the system with both of your parents, uh, but also with your husband Ty, uh, who became quite ill at a at a far too early age, but needed to get into that system as well. Talk about that journey, if you wouldn't mind, like you, you do in the book. And but if you wouldn't mind just giving us a, a sense of that journey uh, that you've been through a few times. Uh, sure. Please. Yeah. Well, it, it it all started when I was working in the seniors care industry as an executive, and about a year and a half, two years into that was when my husband Ty started having some weird symptoms. Um, and along at that, that time, my dad had been diagnosed with Lewy body and Parkinson's. So the, my first experience was as a daughter when my dad needed to be placed after, as Shirley described, home care, community care, acute care. He kind of hit all of those pillars. 
And then we finally got in place where he lived in a long-term care home for six months before he passed away in 2011. And ironically, at the same time, my husband had been requiring home care, community adult daycare. And then the time came that our Lynn uh, community manager or case manager said, you can no longer take care of him at home. Uh, and he was diagnosed with a very rare disease that only 400 people in the world had at that point in time. And at a much younger, right, he was part of that 10 to 12% of the population in long-term care who are under 65 when they become a resident. So there was a, a three or four month period where I had my dad in one nursing home, long-term care home on one end of Burlington and my husband moving in as a new resident in another. So to say it was a crazy time was is a bit of an understatement. So I then became a resident's wife and I was in that role and my husband lived in long-term care for four years before he passed away in 2015. And then my third experience with it was with my mom. We had helped her after my dad passed away, move into independent retirement living. And then her condition progressed where she needed more care. So then we transitioned her again into assisted living, which is a part of the retirement home service offering and would have gone on the wait list, but she unfortunately passed away in 2019. Um, I do have my uh, ties mother who's 99 turning 100 next year she is currently living in long-term care in Grimsby and has been living in that uh, in that home for about four or five years now so that experience of having worked in the business for over a decade and understanding how the business worked thought that would have given me an upper hand and it did to a certain degree, but when you are trying to navigate the system as a family member and grappling with the guilt and the grief and all of the emotions, never mind the day-to-day -day logistical things that Shirley does such a great job helping her clients with, it can be an incredibly overwhelming and emotionally taxing mm -hmm. and also a health risk for family members who are trying to do it all and manage it all. And sometimes not really recognize that it is spiraling out of control for them. Yeah, and um, the emotions of that whole process have got to be pretty intense. Uh, I mean, I've been through it from a distance with my mom, but it, when you're in the middle of that, day to day and watching things happen or not happen, the emotions must be pretty intense. I think it's uh, part of that. Uh, we have a hard time accepting and integrating a health decline. A lot of families mm -hmm. don't recognize that they are actually grieving. It's a complicated grief or this anticipatory grief. We tend to assume uh, that or associate grief when somebody has passed, that can also impact their ability to make the best decisions. When you've got neighbors or family saying, what, what, what are you thinking putting him into a nursing home? You should be able to take care of him at home. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of judgment around that. And I would also think that there can be perhaps from uh, making financial decisions, it's really important to be able to have a more holistic approach and looking at and having the right resources and advisors, people who have seen how this works. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think it's 
you have to look at who are the right supports for that to combine the financial decisions as well as those emotional supports. And when is the right time to be talking to your family doctor or perhaps looking at therapy or being able to let go of some of the responsibilities and all of the the plate spinning that you're doing and not recognizing that you're putting yourself at, uh, at emotional and physical risk. Uh, Shirley, anything to sort of add to that conversation? No, I mean, I think that, you know, financial advisors have such a critical role. Um, you know, they, ha they have the, the, um, the trust of the families and um, it, uh, in essence, a captive audience to, to have a conversation about how, how people are doing and uh, what, you know, what steps do, do they need to take in terms of uh, moving the needle uh, to maybe have a conversation or for them to reach out, in fact, and educate themselves about uh, what is available. Uh, because as we know, things are changing. Um, services change, uh, parameters of care change. And, you know, it, it, it could start with something small like a fall and, and snowball very quickly. Yeah. Yep. So I want to be clear at this point that... Uh, None of us, the, none of the three of us are, are suggesting that financial advisors insert themselves into the crossfire of emotions that surround this journey and the decisions that, that need to get made in, in due course. But what we are trying to do with this conversation today is uh, make you aware, give you some sense that there are supports out there. There's more information that's accessible. Uh, there are, are tools that you can provide to your clients to potentially make this journey a little easier for them. And uh, so again, uh, we're well aware of the complexity of these decisions and the emotions, et cetera, that surround those. Uh, and certainly uh, are not being presumptuous about trying to coax financial advisors into the middle of those conversations, but rather to help you understand uh, what support you can potentially provide to uh, clients, mm -hmm. family members of clients, uh, or even perhaps your own family, uh, God forbid, but even perhaps your own family in due course. So what else do financial advisors need to know, Shirley, about the system and what role they can play in, in helping people understand that system? Well, I, I think it just even starts with that initial conversation with families to, you know, when, when you're taking your, you know, your, your bag of coppers to the financial advisor, as my grandmother would have said, to, you know, and they, they have this, this, uh, great opportunity to ask the question, you know, how, how do you want to age? What, what does it look like for you? You know, um, people have, have, I would say, a kind of minimal understanding as best as people, you know, we, we're trying to educate ourselves about uh, the capacity of the system. But, you know, retirement home, um, if, if you need to transition for that, that extra level of support is, can cost you six to ten thousand dollars a month so you know helping helping someone implement a, a really good strategy for 
if if that happens, what could that look like? And and at what point would they understand when it's time to implement those supports or make those phone calls on on behalf or um, uh, of the individual or to say, here's a package of information and here's some resources. I just, you know, I say to people, don't, you know, stay in your lane and don't uh, try and do it all. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm not a nurse. Uh, I, I, I rely on my, my nurse colleagues uh, when there's a medical complex situation. And I, you know, I, I would say to uh, financial advisors to reach out uh, to, to folks in their community for that level of support and education. So Deb, as somebody that's been worked, that has worked in the system, uh, in the industry, but also as someone who's experienced it firsthand, uh, what, what would you say to, what role do you see financial advisors uh, playing in, in this, this whole journey? I think to build on what Shirley was saying, if your clients, uh, you, and you know that they've got aging parents, to be able to check in and just ask, uh, what's the status of your parents from a health perspective compared to this time last year? Have there been any changes that you've noticed? Sometimes it's just bringing the awareness and the attention to what their thoughts are around how their parents are aging. What are their thoughts around it? Uh, if something were to happen tomorrow that they had to make a decision, what do they think that course of action would be? Mm -hmm. And I think it's more of planting seeds and providing resources. If this is something that you want to do a bit more research on, uh, here's uh, Shirley's website, for example, or here's the Now What book. If you're thinking that uh, there may be some with your family dynamics, maybe the, that emotional journey that you'll be embarking upon. And also to be able to, without, as Shirley said, staying in their lane, but almost nudging some of the thinking that as well, when you look forward to the next two to five years. I mean, after my dad passed away, my mom stayed in their familial home for two or three years. We started noticing her eating less, going out less, uh, driving was becoming an issue. So we were able to have probably a one to two year time frame where we started planting seeds about selling the house, how much better it would be. Let's go look at some retirement homes, start making those decisions and getting a comfort level. And just having those conversations, sometimes people are not even asked those questions. And as well, from a financial planner standpoint, tying it to the financial resources, yes. because you may have clients where six to 10,000 a month is a great way to invest your mother or father's funds. Uh, for others, that may not be an option. And then you need to be looking at more of the public funding models. Yeah. Um, financial advisors have kind of a unique uh, opportunity, perhaps, to uh, be aware of some of those changes as they meet with clients doing annual reviews or, or uh, visits on specific issues, et cetera. Uh, they might often see changes, uh, events, results of events uh, that <clears throat> perhaps are clues to uh, bigger issues that need to be addressed in, in due course. But are there, are there other specific questions they 
they should be asking as part of, or could be asking as part of those meetings, part of those observations? Uh, are, are there things they should avoid, words they shouldn't use, those types of, of, uh, of coaching tips here? Do you want to take that, Deb, or do you want me to? <laughs> well, I, I think it's you know something that comes to mind if a client says, oh, you know, we're not going to be able to take a vacation this year because my mom had a fall and we don't want to be too far away. There's a great opportunity to say, say more about that and what's that current status look like and what kind of supports do you have? Uh, it's, it's not to solve the problem, but it's to say, what other resources can I be providing to them? Most people don't even know what the LIN is, right? They don't understand that there are community, there are government funded dollars that are available. Uh, so I think it's, it's having that open mind and curiosity around where they're at either with themselves or with their parents if they've had a parent who's just recently passed away and they've got their other parent that's living that's another clue that there may be some health concerns that are arising there or additional pressures on the kids to be taking care of their mom. And it could be, I mean, there's all sorts of resources I'm sure Shirley can speak to out there that will give you some of those warning signs, memory issues, uh, weight changes, more frequent doctor appointments. Uh, I think as us boomer kids that are like the sandwich generation and we've got our kids that we're tending to and our parents, uh, when I look back, I wish that I had just paid a bit more attention to the changes with my mom. I didn't see all of them, uh, particularly if your parents on a number of different medications, which a lot of people over 65 are, is how are they managing that? And are they managing them effectively? Because, uh, you know, medication errors can be a significant issue. Yes that happens. And so it's just being more mindful of, and I think it's taking on the role as our, as the kids, that there's going to be some role reversal, that we are going to end up stepping into the parenting of our parents' role as much as we may not want to, but as their aging continues, they're going to be needing more of our support and our eyes and ears on them. Yeah. And, and I would just add, add to that, Bob, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's almost easier, uh, uh, to, you know, to make a decision on behalf of your kids than to make a decision for your parents. Uh, we always want to do the right thing in both situations, of course. But I've talked to many, many families that have said, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't want to disrespect my parents. I didn't want to, um, I didn't know how to start that conversation with them about, about support, you know? And I think I, when you and I were talking earlier, I had a financial advisor call me about two months ago and, and the uh, husband had passed away and the, and the wife, um, because that financial advisor was the touch point for the family, the, the wife then was calling three and four times a day. And, and he said to me, he said, I wish I'd known, you know, um, there were services out there um, because I felt compelled to continue to, you know, call her back. And I, I just can't, and I don't have the knowledge and information. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know enough and uh, to reach out for help as well. Yeah. And I'm sure, Shirley, as you do your on the ground work, I mean, you and your, your team, uh, you see that resistance 
Yes. That gets built yes. up, right? And yes. So help us with that one. Like, what do you, what's the advice around the resistance piece? Well, you know, I, no one wants to get old. I've never heard anybody say, I want to spend my years in long-term care or, or, you know, so it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, um, myths out there, you know, uh, there's a lot of misinformation and, um, you know, it's, it is hard to start the conversation, but I think that, you know, for, for, you know, financial advisors, for any of us to really, you know, acknowledge that things are changing and how can I best support, um, you know, the individual in, um, making some decisions and asking, how do you, how do you see yourself aging? You know, I, I have a family we started working with just a few weeks ago and I spoke with the family a year ago and it took them a year of, of just planting seeds and, you know, breadcrumbs to say, okay, we, we, we need some help um, beyond, beyond what, what we have in place now because the, the, the adult kids were exhausted running back and forth and, and, uh, and they just couldn't do it anymore. So, you know, I say, don't leave it until that it gets to that point, but um, you know, uh, to, to, to start introducing that conversation about how do you see yourself aging? Is your plan to stay here? Would you consider uh, transitioning to a retirement home. If you couldn't care for yourself anymore, would you consider going to long-term care? Yeah. Well, yeah, as we know, 97% of people have said they want to age at home. Yes. And uh, my husband, Ty, would have wanted to age at home. I think part of the, the ugly reality that we also have to look at is that sometimes with aging, when people don't age well, you will need to live with the suboptimal reality, mm -hmm. right? As we've said before, nobody wants to move in a long-term care home. And Ty was obviously very resistant to it. And yet as his care needs continued and he started making friends and becoming a very vibrant and verbose part of that community, uh, his, his was not as, as good as never getting sick. But I think sometimes the, uh, the, the bar of acceptance changes. And I know that that's hard for us to comprehend. And I saw it with my mom, my dad, and my husband. That's not how I wanted to see, nor they wanted to see how they aged. But we worked with the system and what was available and the supports that we could tap into to make it the best possible outcome in a suboptimal situation. And that's what sometimes life hands us, right? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I have to say at this point that um, I, one of the parts of the book that intrigued me a bit was uh, the notion that uh, Ty was in, in that facility and uh, you had to meet you had to know Ty a little bit to understand the personality here, but they, they allowed Ty to be Ty. <laughs> sometimes gritting their teeth, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that was cool to me, right? Because to suppress that, 
I mean, would have been done untold damages. I mean, the fact that Ty was able to be Ty for as long as he was able to be Ty was, in my view, awesome in the circumstances, right? That uh, uh, that was part of you uh, trying to figure out how you could make the system work better, more effectively for him. So uh, uh, that and was- I, And, and uh, I would say that there's, you, you could talk to a lot of families who are very grateful for having their loved one placed into long-term care. There's 40,000 mm -hmm. people on the wait list in Ontario. Unfortunately, the media does tend to focus on the negative stories and we know that there was a lot of them. There's also so many amazing stories and families that are, are really becoming part of that community and support and the res support and respect they have for the care providers. So it's a bit of this uh, double-edged sword, right? Yeah. With requiring seniors care, even retirement home. My mom was in a lovely $8,000 a month retirement home. And there were some suboptimal things with that as well. Uh, it, it's, it just, I think the, the key thing here is how do we support people in accepting that the life, uh, cycle, right. Things are changing mm -hmm. and we have to look at what the best solution is and make the best choices, uh, emotionally, physically, financially in the situation that we're dealing with, because it would be great if we all aged perfectly well to, you know, past a hundred, but that unfortunately doesn't happen. No, but nor does, nor do people have to wait until there's a crisis right. to enter different levels of the system. Uh, right, Shirley? I mean, they can, yes. they can take steps here. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, understanding what the sustainable goal is um, and, and creating benchmarks for themselves, at what point do we need to um, you know, have call the land and see if we can get a, a nurse in, you know, at what point do we need to have grocery delivery <laughs> implemented? What, you know, uh, and, and that's so, so critical. I find families bump along, uh, you know, families are incredibly resilient. People are resilient. Um, and they do the best that they can with, with what they have to work with. You know, I, I truly believe everybody works to their own capacity. It may not be a hundred percent, you know, um, but that's, that's when you, you know, I say to people, reach out for help, you know, um, call your family GP, you can call the Lynn, uh, you can call myself, you can call Deb um, and, 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 uh, you know, ask, ask questions. And either of you can sort of tackle this one, I think, but, uh, this is, and and maybe it's responding to a comment, but I, this isn't a cookie cutter kind of scenario here. There is no one size fits all solution. Uh, there's some work to be done in terms of assessing what is really required and what the options are. Uh, and surely I, I'm, that's the boots on the ground part of it yeah. that, uh, that you and your team do. Yeah, yeah, we, um, you know, our, our process certainly is as, as, a, as a private company, um, you know, families will call us and say, I, I, you know, I just want a single point access, I don't want to work with four or five or six different people. 
Um, and can you come in and, and uh, you know, assess? We, we think we need support, we're not sure. And that's where we will go in and provide, a, you know, top to bottom assessment and recommendations, environmental barriers, you know, has an occupational therapist been in, um, you know, we do a full medical profile um, and, and then make, and then make recommendations to the family from there. And they, they can either choose to say, you know, what, I, I'd like, you know, I'd like to proceed further or thank you very much. I think I, I now need, know what I need to do. Um, and you know, I, I think that sometimes just provides a clarity. It's a roadmap, really. We provide families a roadmap for here's what's happening now. Let's look at what are your short-term, your long-term care goals. And as you know, we're working with the parents, but their goal may be very different than what the adult child's, uh, you know, goal is, you know, adult child lives in North Bay, but they're here and they're running back and forth every weekend. Yeah. And mom and dad are saying, I'm not moving out of my house. Um, but they're getting the 3am phone calls from the hospital or, yeah, I'm not really sure, you know, I think your dad took my medication. So that's where, that's where a really good, I think, roadmap um, and plan can help. <laughs> well, and I assume part of that is assessing uh, financial supports that might be available. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you would ever talk to financial advisors, but, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly there would be some insight from that angle in terms of funds that are available and all that sort of stuff, right? Absolutely. And, and sometimes people just aren't ready. You know, we, we, you know, they just aren't ready for support. It's, um, and that's, that's okay. Um, you know, usually, you know, I, I say to people, plan. Uh, you don't plan for a crisis. Uh, it, you know, it it uh, it lands on your doorstep. But with uh, with financial advisors, I think having the questions to ask, knowing what questions to ask, and having the the capacity to understand when they need to say, I I think we need a little bit of help for this client or this this individual, um, is is critical. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And Deb, uh, uh, as we sort of start to wind this this down a bit, uh, I thought you positioned the book beautifully and right in the introduction when, and I'm just going to read this so I don't screw it up. Uh, but you say, think of this as a playbook of sorts. It's not so much about how does the system work but more, how do I make this work for me and my family? And I mean, the system is what the system is. Uh, the capacity and, and of the system and all that stuff is what it is. But the book gives an excellent sort of uh, guide sense of how to work within that system and make it the best possible experience given the resources etc that that are available yeah because as shirley was saying this is a major transition and it's interesting when we think of other significant transitions in our life how much planning and preparation we put into it whether it's a new baby a new marriage a new home those are all associated as positive transitions and God willing that we're, we're blessed to live long enough where we need to be thinking about our aging transition. 
we don't want to put as much energy into it. And so, yes, you need to understand how the system works and how are you going to work within that and what decisions and capacities do you have? But also it's that understanding that it's really hard when we see our parents or our spouse or other people that we love getting older and not being able to do for themselves what they used to be Mm -hmm. able to do. And so I think part of it is being gentle and, uh, and have some grace with ourselves on it. Uh, Sometimes when the adult kids and the parents don't agree, sometimes it's like in that parenting role, you have to set those milestones or boundaries or limitations to really push the decision forward for what's in their best interest. And it's interesting in that regard, where they see when people move into long-term care, it's actually the resident who adjusts the fastest to that change. And we would tend to think that they would take the longest amount of time because it's that their life that is being so affected. The staff make the adjustment next, but it's the family that takes the longest time to adjust because we project how we think it would feel for us to be in that loved one's shoes and in that bed, in that home. And so we're trying to manage all of the activity as well as the guilt and the fear around them. So that's why I think I really wanted to shine a light on the experience for the families and how what they can be doing to help support themselves, which will then help to support their loved one. Yeah. And Deb, I know you're doing work with uh, a lot of people uh, in the form of, uh, of uh, family council type sessions in different homes as well. And you you recommend being part of those if if you have a loved one in in one of the facilities, right? Yeah, I enjoy popping popping in and uh, and sharing a bit about the book. We've created a book club kit because homes are wanting to start with onboarding the new families and getting them oriented with that material. And I do a lot of training with care team members in seniors care around the now what philosophy and and what role they play in in being able to really develop stronger, healthier relationships, particularly in a time where there's uh, some challenging narrative out there when it comes to seniors care. Challenging narrative. Mm -hmm. I guess we've all heard some of that, but uh, I promised you we wouldn't go down that rabbit hole today. Uh, But having said that, there are many, many wonderful facilities out there Mm -hmm. with wonderful, caring staff. And uh, I guess the bottom line on that topic is there just aren't ever enough of them. Waiting lists are quite long. I don't know what they are currently. I think I heard you reference that that earlier. Shirley, did you? 40,000. Yeah, there there are 40,000 in Canada on the wait list right now. Yeah. Yeah. Another reason not to wait till it's a critical moment, right? Uh, To have some of those conversations uh, to perhaps take some interim steps uh, Mm -hmm. and to plan this part of of life's journey. Uh, You know, as was said a bit earlier, uh, we plan lots of stuff in our lives. Yes. Uh, we spend more time planning vacations than we do uh, this part of the journey. And mm-hmm. uh, 
that's often why it gets so frantic and so emotional and intense when the moment hits, right? Because now it has to be dealt with. And sometimes the options are, are not as appealing or plentiful at that particular moment than they would have been uh, uh, at earlier moments to, to get that underway. But uh, again, our mission today was to make you as financial advisors aware that there is more help out there. Uh, there are ways for you to bring to the attention of your clients uh, that these additional uh, helps are out there. Uh, and certainly one of those is Deb's book. It's called Now What? Uh, and it's available at Amazon and at other some other bookstores uh, around, but certainly at Amazon for sure. And I must say, Deb, uh, I, I would never have seen that topic as a must read, but it's a must read. And uh, I congratulate you on putting it together and, you know, opening your own heart, your own background, your own history with the system uh, to help others uh, make the best of it for them and their families. Uh, you did a wonderful job of that. Thank and you. Shirley, thanks so much for, uh, for your help, uh, not only on this podcast, but to, to the many families that you and your team are working with. Uh, I, I suspect you've become a very expert navigator of the helps that are out there and who needs what and how to access it as best we can uh, in today's world. So I thank both of you for uh, for joining me today to maybe shed a bit of light on on this topic, uh, that topic that we we really don't like to talk about a whole lot, but we really do have to. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a slam dunk that uh, this is one of those topics that just has to get aired out in every family, as difficult as that might be. So thank you again, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, phone numbers and email addresses, etc., will be shared on screen. But uh, Deborah uh, can be reached at Deborah at Deborah Bakti B A K T I dot com. Uh, Shirley can be reached at Shirley, which is spelled S H I R L E A, at Care for Life Support Services dot com. Uh, and both are, are ready, willing, and able to uh, offer advice or guidance uh, depending on circumstance and situations as they come up. So uh, I encourage you, as you might need to, uh, to reach out for those additional supports. And as always, uh, to the audience, uh, if you have ideas that you want us to pursue as part of this podcast, please send those along to Bob at thepersonalcoach.ca. Uh, if there is general information that you would like to get about the personal coach, uh, please feel free to send those inquiries along to info at thepersonalcoach.ca. Thank you again, Deb and Shirley, for joining me today. It was wonderful to see you both and to talk with you about this topic. 
and uh, I'll look forward to a, another chat somewhere down the road where we might update. Thanks. Sounds and good. thanks to all. Have a great Christmas, everyone. Thanks, Bye Paul. for now. Thank you. Thank